This is React Podcast. I'm Chantastic. This week, we continue our discussion with Jonathan Cottrell about the future of work. This time, we're talking about teamwork, and we tackle a few important questions. How do you invest in a team that is separated by hundreds of miles? How do you find moments to spark trust where serendipity is at a minimum? How do you make sure everyone is heard and feels good about their work? If you work remote or hope to work remote, these questions are at the forefront of your mind as you decide whether or not to DM that coworker or waffle between which emoji expresses your sentiment best. We got you. This episode is brimming with tips and tricks for you. You know who else has got you? Infinite Red. They know that going remote takes more than passing out laptops and telling everyone to work from home. They are passionate advocates of remote work and firmly believe you can build a thriving remote company without sacrificing culture. In fact, they wrote the book on it. As we'll discuss in today's episode, communication is hard, remote communication even harder. Without tools and tactics, it's possible that you may never foster the connections you need to do fulfilling work. Infinite Red knows the challenges. They've fought them head on and want to help you do the same. They wrote the Remote Work Handbook to help you create a thriving remote workplace. It'll help you as a remote founder, remote team, and even a solo remote employee at an otherwise all-local company. Download the handbook today at remote.infinite.red and take the road less commuted. TopTal would also like to help you go remote. Let's face it, you're tired of the nine to five. In your free time, you've been sharing what you know in videos, blog posts, open source libraries, and, and Stack Overflow answers. Over the past few months, something is becoming clear. You are an expert. It kind of snuck up on you, but people on your team trust you to have answers. And when you write about your work, people listen and they change. So you start to ask yourself, can I have a bigger impact? Can I work with other teams to improve their applications, invest in better practices, and train up a new wave of experts? You can. Go to TopTileJobs.com. At TopTal, you'll find opportunities and challenges that are waiting for experts like you. With technology as fresh and new as React, the opportunities are endless. Go to TopTalJobs.com, join the world's top 3% of freelance developers, plug into jobs with top Silicon Valley and Fortune 500 clients, and find teams eager to get your talented hands into their products. Thanks, TopTal and Infinite Red. Now, let's get into the show. I know that just recently you published a podcast about... Uh, about teams. And I think usually it's about, uh, usually it's a little bit more like individual efforts, mm -hmm. things that you can mm -hmm. do to, to, to be more healthy individually and, and, and a better contributor or, or meet your goals. Um, but this really caught my attention because thinking in teams is something that has been extremely interesting to me over the last handful of years. And um, just kind of seeing over time how much it takes to 
excite someone as you're talking about to excite someone to invest invest or i guess in some cases like slow some people down uh you know so that you can let the others have have a voice yeah and you brought up some really amazing points but um what are your thoughts kind of going into the next you know years about like about like team and like what are are the things that you're hoping to uncover and discover about teams it's a great question i think my mind is on how we can create effective, particularly remote teams. Mm. That's a really uh, important factor for me. Um, The second thing that I'm really interested in is how we create teams that foster innovation. Um, And when I say innovation, I don't mean it in the sense of, you know, bringing a new product to market. I mean it more in a sense of... um, like a really, uh, uh, like the pace yeah. is really more what I'm talking about, right? Not a fast team, but the pace of production increasing over time rather than, you know, the the amount of time that people putting in being directly correlated, being able to reduce the amount of work necessary for the same amount of output. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, some studies say that we need about four to six hours now to produce the amount of value that we otherwise would have produced in a 40 hour week in the fifties. Whoa. So (laughs) to think that we're locked, right? We're not landlocked here. Yeah. We have a, obviously innovation. When we're talking about innovation, I mean, uh, efficiency innovation of a team and uh, value innovation of a team. That's where we really have a lot of opportunity. I think when you start thinking about team psychology Mm -hmm. in, how do we create teams that are successfully lowering that, right? Lowering the the uh, effort to output mm-hmm. ratio. And I think that starts by understanding that, you know, a vast majority of the things that we just naturally think are true about teams probably aren't. Yeah, yeah. Like we, we have to question some fundamental assumptions about our work, our work together. And how to make that work more effective. So that's really where I think a lot of the research is is going to focus is, you know, what are these things that, um, because of the commercialization of work, Mm -hmm. what are those things that we've created systems around that have no real basis in reality, right? The 40 hour week is, is one of those things. Yeah. And this is well known now. I mean, it's, we've adapted and it turns out to be a relatively good system but the reason, the basis for a 40-hour work week was entirely like an old thing that has nothing to do with reality right now, <laughs> yeah. right? It has nothing to do with reality. So I, th- I think that's really where a lot of innovation is, is kind of, we're on the cusp of figuring out how to work entirely differently yeah. for teams. And I think companies are going to look totally different. Yeah, this is interesting because I think that this, you know, plays into the very beginning of our conversation, right? Like how things are changing with remote work, uh, with, you know, with the the family unit and the neighborhood unit and uh, our our online communities. And it it feels at times chaotic, right? Like we're just in this space and we're just like grasping at straws trying to figure out anything. Um, But it really is, it's true that we're kind of trying to catch up to the way that work has changed. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like you said, remote changes everything, right? Like it changes just the, the even if you agree and adhere to a 40 hour work week, 
it fully changes the dynamics of how that even works. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what what do you think are some of the the roadblocks to to good team culture um, in a remote company? Hmm. Wow. Uh, perception. Perception is everything in a remote company um, because the work is the same. Hmm. Right. So, you know, perception is what gives you the sense that someone is near or far. Interesting. Uh, even your so philosophical uh, deep dive for two seconds here. Yeah. Even even our vision and uh, uh, ability to sense someone is near. All of that is still perception, right? What we know about the world around us is entirely filtered through our perception, and so it stands to reason that if we take that perception and we apply to it all of our preconceived notions about what work is uh-huh. right if 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 you grew up like i did my my father was in the military so work was never remote ever there's no <laughs> such thing right yeah and and not only that but you're so uh loyal to your work that you're willing yeah. to move across the country or across the world often in, in the military that that's true right wild to think about so so that's very untrue for for me now and so it takes some unraveling of these fundamental like schema in our head right we're we're the first generation now where remote work is very likely to be a part of our lives like mm-hmm. everyone's life at some point particularly if you do this kind of skilled knowledge work right and, and so because we have this established schema of work being tied to an office right of work being tied to a boss that you don't like that's a really common established schema that people have in their heads it takes some work to unravel that it Mm -hmm. takes a lot of perception shifting and it's not just as simple as saying hey you know here's the research it's not as simple as saying this is working for this company why can't it work for yours you have to actually experience it and uh, you know, I actually don't know that we have the perfect answer for how to change that perception. Yeah. It takes time and it takes, you know, m- uh, mindset shift is mostly about co-creation. This is what we often get wrong about changing other people's minds. We think that if we can rationalize something, right, if if we can lay out the argument, if it's irrefutable, then someone will just suddenly change their mind. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully... Hopefully we know by now, especially in our current climate, that this is just not the case. Like yeah. facts don't do the, the job of yeah. persuasion. And uh, more in the professional realm, what you really want to do for people to buy in is have them be a part of creating the thing. Yeah. Right. That's so there's, there's some research around, you know, how do you make somebody uh, uh, feel like they are a part of something? One of the things. One of the things that is necessary is co-creation. Another thing is to ask them to do you a favor. You're more likable mm. to someone that you've asked to do a favor, and that it, particularly if they go and do that favor for you, they like you more. It seems crazy, right? It's, yeah. I'm going and working on your behalf. Why would I like? It seems like the people that aren't asking me to do anything, you know, I'm, I'm more likely to, likely to appreciate. But it, it's it's not the way that way. So I think when we're trying to to spread the idea that remote work is important we have to rely on these more basic human instincts right Mm -hmm. Um, another good one is uh authority so i believe it was uh, naval 
who is the founder of AngelList, he recently tweeted that we're about to see a lot of companies hiring remote. I can almost guarantee you that all of the business owners that appreciate what Naval has to say, they all went and looked at their job descriptions. They're like, I wonder if we can make this one remote, right? <laughs> because it's like, you know, if I say it, I don't have an authority in that space, but this person who is, you know, who has authority changes people's perspectives a little bit easier. So there's not one answer to that, but I think that the main, the critical factor here is perception. Yeah. On the other side of that though, just briefly, there is a difference in the way the work is done. Yeah. Uh, and it's important to recognize that difference. The work itself, the outcome may be identical, right? It usually won't be because remote work tends towards uh, better documentation. It tends towards, um, <laughs> in, in many ways, better work, actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the actual working, the process of the team, the, the various like ceremonies that you participate in, mm -hmm. those change. And so your Slack communication with someone becomes much more important, for example, right. because that's the only window that they have into you. That's the only, you know, my office is my screen. And if what's on my screen uh, makes me feel uneasy, then I'm <laughs> uneasy about work. Yeah. Right. I can't go and sit down and talk to somebody. I can't, you know, so there are some, some like human factors to consider that are, are difficult to manage, but. I think we have the ability to manage those when we're mindful about them. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. You touched on a, a, a lot of things that I have experienced um, in, in the last handful of years doing remote work um, that I hadn't, hadn't quite really thought through, but um, I've experienced them in very true ways with my neighbors, right? Where Interesting. I, I think, and, and this goes back to, to our earlier conversation, that idea of kind of going from the individual to like falling in love with community it feels like remote work has really put us back on that like individual part of it. Like we feel mm -hmm. individualized. We don't feel connected um, because we don't have often these natural uh, occurrences where even just in a small way, like, hey, could I borrow your pencil real quick? Right. Like that that concept yeah. of like doing someone a favor, like those little interactions can really help you invest into someone, someone else and, and feeling that connection um and those are really hard to recreate in you know in something like slack or, or or a group chat um because they feel the amount of interruption feels much higher when you're like really just like sliding into someone's dms <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, because you really yeah. don't get a, a context of like oh they don't they don't look like they're really in it right now so if i ask them for this favor it's not a big deal um, right. Yeah. They could be in. They could be a world away, and uh, and and you're just like pulling them out of something that's super important. Um, and yeah. we even have memes about that. You know, as as it's developers, true. like the, these clouds of like the universe that we're in, and then someone asks us something that's like not important, then boop, it disappears. Pop the bubble. Yeah. <laughs> kind of rebuild everything. Uh, yeah, I, th I think it changes our responsibility. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think it comes for free. Um, you know, I, I think there's, it just changes our responsibility. It changes the way that we think about communication. Uh, there's a lot more subconscious thought mm -hmm. that goes into our communication. Uh, there's a lot more performance in our communication. Yeah. You know, we start thinking about things like, how are people going to perceive me mm -hmm. if I put this emoji rather than that one? <laughs> yeah. Right? 
And that's very different than if you're sitting in a meeting and you involuntarily make a facial expression, right? So like <laughs> yeah. you, you become, it's a different level of responsibility because there's less off the cuff, you know, quote, accidental communication that happens. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think it, I, I think we, we adapt well, it's a new language, right? So mm-hmm. you and I both, we could go spend time now We're we're well adapted humans. We could go spend time and learn a new language that yeah. we, we have no idea how it works. There's a whole new grammatical structure to it, right? We do this with programming languages and it just so happens that we don't view it as a new language naturally, right? We, mm-hmm. we try to shove it into, you know, however we were doing things before, yeah. but it's, it's a fundamentally new way of communicating with other people because it's performative, right? And that's, that's the critical, the critical factor is, you know, everybody performs differently. And so now you have to decode yeah. the particular style that this person performs with uh, rather than saying, okay, you know, we have this basis of interaction that we've established in a, in a communal space. Now I'm thinking about this person sitting in their chair in Ohio. Uh, how, what are they thinking about, right? I have to take my brain there rather yeah. than actually just being there. So it's it's a it's a... A gap, but it also, I think, in some ways, because of the gap, you can have a different type of empathy for people. Yeah, yep. right? you can you can start thinking about them in new, fundamentally new ways. And I think it's yet to be determined if it's if it's helpful or, or hurtful for the workplace. But I think in in many ways, because it empowers people to be where they want to be, mm-hmm. it's biased towards being helpful. Yeah, for the workplace. Yeah. Well, you talk about this on your show a lot, and I love this idea and how you bring it up now is the idea of taking the implicit and making it explicit. And that's something that's very critical uh, for remote teams in particular. And our individual responsibility on a remote team is to, you know, now that we now that we are in a position where we're forced to make all of these things explicit, um, really clearly communicating things. And like you said, docs get better and all that kind of stuff. And it's super awkward at times to be like, hey, I just want you all to know I'm available right now if anyone (laughs) needs to interrupt me. Um, But like taking that implicit thing and making it explicit um, is really powerful. And um, actually, honestly, I wanted to touch on a couple of points that you made that I thought were really invaluable for people communicating on teams whether remote or in person um but you had three points that really uh, i guess made made explicit some implicit uh thoughts in my head um but one of them was to uh remember to ask uh how people have changed their thinking or like ask people for their perspective like what has changed over time uh this concept of equal agency which i would love for you to explain a little bit more um and then applying like subjective context like how do you feel like on a on a one to five scale which i had not thought of until you uh, talked about it um but these are all things that really help help do exactly what you're talking about with teams um so could you talk about those just a little bit yeah so so there's a couple of things here um one it's it's really obvious if you watch any kind of political discussion on tv or off that consistency of belief especially is uh, a signal for reliability Hmm. right so another another way to put that is if you change your mind about a critical issue people (laughs) will see you as unreliable they'll they'll call you a flip-flop right 
you're not allowed to do that. You need to have everything figured out, you know, from the age of 20 on and <laughs> any mistake that you make or any perspective shift that you have, you know, it you means it. that you don't know how to think. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think quite the opposite is true, especially on teams. Now, I think some of those things that, to be fair to the political discussions, some of those are about, you know, basic human rights. And, and you know, if, if you have a history that, uh, that suggests that you don't care about human rights and suddenly you do, then it's reasonable to bring that uh, under scrutiny, <laughs> right? But if we're talking about, you know, uh, things that, uh, that affect a project that we're working on, like maybe you thought that this way of doing things was the right way for this project, but now you think, uh, maybe I'm unsure. Maybe it's mm -hmm. not that you flipped entirely to a different perspective, but you've learned some new information or you talked to a, a person, they persuaded you uh, in, in, in a different direction. And so now what you originally thought was true may, may not necessarily be true. This is the process of learning. Yeah. Right. That is fundamentally what learning is about. It's changing your mind in some way, whether there, whether there is a prior belief, right. It's in, in research, you'll see these called just simply priors. If you don't have a prior, uh, then you're, you're learning new information kind of out of nowhere, yeah. or you're changing your mind about, you know, previously held belief. And this is, this is hard because, you know, this is something that's kind of baked into our evolution. When someone is unreliable uh, or when they're changing what they're saying, maybe they're trying to trick us, mm. right? Maybe they're from a different tribe and they're trying to, you know, convince us that something is true that's not true. And we need to be afraid of that. That's one way that it may be tied to our evolution. Another way that it may be tied to it is the idea that if this person is flip-flopping on a regular basis, then maybe in the middle of a trek across the wilderness, <laughs> they're going to choose to just stop or like, you know, go the wrong way. Yeah. Right. We need to have an established plan. And so for this reason, not only is it hard for us to trust those people, but it's also difficult for us to see when we have transformed. Yeah. And so it's very hard and you can you prove this to yourself right now. Try to remember the last time that you had a significant change in your beliefs. <laughs> this is so hard to do, like really hard to do. And it happens regularly, right? We don't change, you know, drastically every day, but we change on a regular basis, especially if you're younger than about 25 years old, you've almost certainly had some pretty significant shifts in, in the way you see the world, but it's very, very hard to remember what they are. Right. Yeah. So being able to make that an okay thing, right? Forcing people to recall, not forcing them, but prompting them, I guess is a yeah. better way to put that. Prompting people to recall that. Giving them an opportunity. Yeah, exactly. You know, we, we don't think about it regularly because it's unsafe. It's unsafe to think about. But if you prompt people to do that, what you're doing is you're making mistakes safe. Hmm. You're making change safe. You're making it easy to say, you know what? I think you're right about that. Yeah. I think I may have been wrong about that, right? This fluidity of uh, not having to stay consistent with everything you say, that makes a team much more able to transform over time. 
and accept new information and grow from it rather than, you know, holding on, conserving these old beliefs that they have, they can continue to progress with them. Yeah, I think there's something to that uh, about being able to, I'm in a way you're exposing yourself to other people in a way that that creates community Mm -hmm. that says like, hey, I'm, I'm pretty sure Right. Like from my experience, I see this thing and it seems like maybe this is the right direction. But also I admit to like being unsure and like people I feel like people can kind of get around that a little bit. You know, like you said, it's like I my biggest concern is I just want to make sure that we don't get halfway through the journey and then you bolt in the other direction because you got like <laughs> <Right>. another premonition. <laughs> and yeah. so if we can be unsure collectively like right. together and go on this thing and then at the halfway point reevaluate um well i can get on board with that like you know as long as we're as long as we're a team and we're pushing together then like you know nobody can tell the future yeah absolutely well and, and you know the whole point of doing this exercise with people regularly is not to force them into it right mm-hmm. not to say hey you need to be humble <laughs> that's that doesn't like we said it doesn't really work to like just tell somebody what they need to do Instead, you're giving this, this, it's like kind of like an intervention, right? Yeah. Um, not like uh, you're doing something wrong and you need to change it, but more like here is something to think about. And the thinking is the transforming thing, mm-hmm. right? The, the ability to keep this in mind is the transformation that you need. And by doing it in a non-critical time, yeah. that's also less threatening, right? So you build this habit of continuously bringing up change now change becomes a kind of like a friend rather than this this really yeah it's the same reason why by the way uh if you are a manager regular one-on-ones are absolutely critical because if you don't have regular one-on-ones and you need to have a meeting with that person you're going to terrify them by asking them to meet you (laughs) one-on-one right that's hey can we talk yeah exactly (laughs) this is exactly what it is and so, hey, uh, tell me about a time that you changed your mind. Suddenly, when you've been doing great for two years at this company, uh, that feels that feels threatening. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know, I know for for certain that a big transformation in in my uh, career and my work happened when I was able to honestly admit this thing that we pushed on a handful of years ago was the wrong vision, mm-hmm. right? Like we pushed actively in the wrong direction. And like that felt like something that, like you said, I wanted to erase, right? I wanted to forget yeah. that as, as mm-hmm. fast as possible and pretend like it never happened. But when I was able to embrace that and use that as a context for future decision-making and say, hey, that failed, but what we learned was this. Mm-hmm. And we're going to try to apply that same, that thing that we learned to our next mistakes, I guess. <laughs> um, it was very, it, it was able to uh, kind of rally the team around, like kind of bringing their own mistakes. You know, you, you can use your mistakes then as a lens into like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, like, you know, we tried this other thing and that didn't work either. So let's avoid that one as well. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Instead of like everyone just like, no, this is the future, no matter what, like I promise you. <laughs> Instead of trying to convince each other, uh, right. we can just bring our context and uh, say, hey, maybe we should avoid this too or create a solution that navigates ar- around this as well. Yeah, this, this really speaks to a, a larger theme in my kind of personal philosophy about work. And that is that when fear enters the equation, work ends. You stop working. Hmm. And here's kind of the fundamental reason why that's the case is that fear, the center of fear in our minds is 
probably the oldest thing in our brains, right? In terms of, of evolution. Yeah. And the things that trigger fear are like life threatening to us. <laughs> That's the way our brain sees them, right? And we, we can cognitively work through the fact that they're not life threatening, but our brains don't really listen to that. Yeah. Right. It, communicating that something is not life threatening down to that older part in your brain is uh, difficult, if not impossible. So what you have to do is experience that thing on a regular basis, right? That and, and recognize, you know, kind of retrospectively, I lived through that. I was okay. Yeah. You have to continuously assert by, uh, for example, imagining the worst possible outcome and then saying, hey, you know what? That worst possible outcome, I can imagine myself there. Yeah. And I would still feel safe. I don't feel like it's actually literally threatening my life because taking the wrong turn in the wilderness is literally going to threaten your life. But, <laughs> you know, putting money into a startup will not, right? <laughs> the worst possible outcome is that you're going to be in a tent and you're going to be sleeping, you know, on the floor and eating beans out of a can, right? That's that's probably the worst possible thing that can happen to you. Yeah. And you're still okay, right? You're still going to make it if you do, if, if you, and that's if you really, really mess up, right? That's yeah. very unlikely. Well, that's, that's really interesting too in, in con- context of decision making. You know, when you can shine a spotlight on like saying, hey, we thought we were right then and where we're at now is actually the worst case scenario for then. Yes. So since we can work through this together, like it, it can only go up, right? <laughs> like we, yes. we know that we can work through the worst case scenario together. Yeah. So, you know, remembering that we're, we're in our worst case now allows us to be optimistic about, about new solutions. Yeah. I'm looking up a quote right now from Marcus Aurelius that is uh, particularly relevant. There's that pause we were talking about. <laughs> you got to love those Stoics, man. Yeah. Uh, well, this, this one in particular was, was about, I'm, I'm not finding it, but uh, Marcus Aurelius says something along the lines of whenever you face hardship, you will carry into that hardship the same faculties of reason that you have now. Hmm. So imagine, you know, you're, you're able to reason through things and you're able to think about them in, in you know, productive ways. When you face something difficult, you're going to have the same reasoning capacity. So it's not, you know, th- that kind of lessens the the blow a little bit, right? Because we're saying, hey, we're in the worst possible scenario right now. And like, I still plan on eating pizza tonight and <laughs> playing my Nintendo Switch. Like, it's going to be fine. We just have to figure out a way uh, to learn from it and to, to quell some of those those evolutionary, you know, fear mechanisms in a way that that allows us to continue to your to your previous point, this idea of continuation uh, as like a, a goal in your career. Mm-hmm. I wanted to touch on one more thing because I felt like it was such a, such a practical nugget and it, it plays into this idea of how we have those conversations. And it was this idea of creating some like subjective context around things. So it can be really easy. Like when someone brings all of their, you know, concerns and, and, and criticisms to feel like, Oh man, this is the end of the world. Like they're really, really pissed about this. Um, but you have this this idea of gauging severity by saying like, hey, before we even have this conversation, like, how do you feel on a scale of like one to five? And that giving context to whatever is to come. Uh, can you talk about that and how that how that really kind of like helps that co- communication around the like team dynamic? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I'm I'm going to combine this with the discussion on equal ag- agency because I think they're mm-hmm. I think these are kind of the same, you know, fundamental concept, which is the underlying difficult reality is that it's hard to understand other people in relation to another person, right? So yeah. let, me, let me explain that. So, you know, one person's uh, anger may be another person's normal day, right? Uh, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully not if it's intense, but, you know, one person's sense of um, depression is a better one, right? Because some people are, yeah, are yeah. just naturally quieter in group settings than others. And so one person who you might decode that their behavior is, is telling you that they're feeling depressed in some way, another person may actually be totally happy and fine, but you're decoding the same message because the yeah. behaviors are the same, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this idea of bringing this explicit number to an implicit thing, it does two things. One, for someone who is experiencing frustration, anger, fear, doubt, whatever those things are, it helps them ground that feeling in a particular severity level. If you've ever felt anxiety, and I can speak to my own experience on this, you know that it's not going to be one level. It can go wildly from one to 10 very easily and very quickly. And even a discussion about it can change it, right? So, So it's you know, people people are not like containers that you pour stuff into and they're holding a certain <laughs> amount of anxiety for today, right? So by creating that filter, what you're doing is you're providing a grounding mechanism for that person, mm. right? Uh, because again, you know, it, it's not it's not true in the sense that, you know, you don't have an actual level of anger, Sure. Right? Yeah. <laughs> You're feeling feelings and you are sensing your feelings and therefore you are deciding that you are angry. And to what degree are you angry? It's kind of up to you. Yeah, yeah. Right. So allowing someone to express that gives them that grounding sense because otherwise it's very possible that someone will take a small thing and feel a very big feeling. Yeah. Right. If you give them the opportunity to kind of rationalize how much anger am I feeling about this thing that may in and of itself be an intervention, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's not a, not a control mechanism. You're giving them the control to do this, right? They, they very well can say, and you have to destigmatize tens by the way, right? <laughs> uh, 10 out of 10. Uh, but if you give them the opportunity to do this, then you're doing two things. Like I said, you're giving them that grounding mechanism, but you're also allowing the person to, uh, to express in a magnitude what they may not be able to effectively express in words. Yeah. Right. So that's the critical factor. The first one is is useful, but the second one is game changing. Right. Because a quiet person expressing anger might just be even quieter. Right. Like <laughs> they may just retreat. They might uh, say that they're taking a mental health day. And you have no idea that anything is going on. Yeah. And then someone who is a little bit more outspoken uh, and they choose to express their anger about something really small that they're not really even feeling a lot about, they might do so in a way that you're like, we got to stop the whole train and <laughs> give this person all of our attention. And both of those are, are out of proportion with reality. And you got to remember that you are also 
as the as the kind of the receiving end, you also have your own biases. Yeah. So you may be feeling that someone who's quiet is actually really angry, and then someone who's loud is just mm-hmm. annoying, right? Uh, that's certainly possible. And so by creating these more objective measures, you you can do a couple of of those things. You can also do it over time, so you can see, okay, what is someone's norm, right? Mm-hmm. There's actually an episode of The Office. Uh, where they do this. It's very strange, but they actually do this exact thing. It's when uh, Michael and, and Jim, for, for Office fans, when Michael and Jim are both co-managers and uh, you know something is crazy happening in the office and Michael walks into Jim's office and he says, hey, how are you doing right now? He says, on a scale of one to 10, about a four. Usually I'm about a six. And Michael goes, man, I'm feeling like a zero and usually I'm a 10. And it's like <laughs> this, this perfect picture of exactly what I'm talking about, right? Uh, you know, everybody has their different kind of levels and, and yeah. the way that they experience life. But to be able to understand that and to do something about it, right? Mm-hmm. Very often. And, and so this plays into equal agency. And here's how. When you have someone who is typically quieter, right? And this happens especially with disenfranchised groups, people are, who are uh, underrepresented. Yep. They typically are going to be quieter out of fear. Remember we talked mm-hmm. about that being the, the end of work, right? Because they know that their job is more fragile or they feel that their job is more fragile. Yeah. Even if it's not true, they feel that their job is more fragile because it was harder to get, mm-hmm. right? It's, they were, they were, it was more difficult to break into the industry and so they're more likely to be protective and they're therefore less expressive because they're afraid that their expressions might cause some kind of rift yeah. in this delicate thing. And so now you're in this situation where a person feels silenced, even with no, you know, no explicit silencing by management, right? This can just be the, the outcome of, you know, that person's position in life. Mm-hmm. And by providing everyone this explicit platform to express in a regular ongoing way, how they're feeling and doing it from a magnitude rather than tell me in words how you're feeling you are equalizing some of those things that are otherwise unequal yeah right or at least you're you're moving in that direction and this isn't the only way to do it let's be very clear this is just one kind of representative way of doing it it's difficult to create a truly equal environment and how can anybody even measure that right yeah there are some things that we can do but ultimately this is a way that you can try. Mm-hmm. And that's really what it's about, right? Is trying to make this otherwise deeply inequitable situation for a person more equitable. And hopefully, hopefully people see that. Well, I, I love that because I think something that causes anxiety, you know, I, I have a meeting I'm going into today that like I'm feeling very anxious about, right? And yeah that kind of that tends to compound Mm -hmm. when you don't feel like you have an outlet for being able to communicate Mm -hmm. like that you are feeling right like and and even just being able to have a a mechanism to say like hey on the chart i am feeling right um (laughs) is is so powerful to be able to kind of like give a lens into like how you know delicate people should should be with you um without kind of the discomfort of being in a work environment and talking about your feelings <laughs> because that's not really like nobody really wants to be there either. <laughs> and I really love this. I love this idea. And I hope that 
teams um, will adopt some flavor of it mm-hmm. to be able to just kind of see each other a little bit and say, hey, I'm, I'm feeling and everyone say, hey, like, we acknowledge that you're feeling and uh, that's great. It's okay. It's okay to be human here. We don't have to be uh, little business robots. <laughs> well, I mean, I think I see it like, uh, you know, if you were, if you, let's say you owned a factory, you want to know the status of the machines in your factory, right? You want to know, mm-hmm. how, is this one overheating? Is this one, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, is this one even plugged in? <laughs> like, <laughs> what's going on over here? Um, and not to, not to, to, you know, make this direct correlation of machine, of humans as machines, but why would we shield ourselves for maybe some cultural insecurity? Why would we shield ourselves from sharing those feelings that are fundamentally critical yeah. to our ability to work? Like that's, that seems, you know, at the very least unwise, mm-hmm. right? It seems like a, a miss. It seems like there's more that we can do together to share, you know, what we're going through so that we can better accommodate each other. Like that's, that's, uh, you know, going back to my, my training as a pilot, when you're absolutely your biggest risk as a pilot is yourself. Hmm. And the a significant portion of the training that you go through is identifying particular risk factors on a day that you're going to go fly. For example, if you're feeling nervous, if you're feeling pressured, uh, there's something called get there itis, right? Uh, this is a <laughs> weird, like, uh, cultish uh, language that we have in, <laughs> in pilot land, but wanting to get to a place just because you set out to get there. And yeah. so you're, you're willing to push through bad weather. I've done this before, even knowing the training, right? So why, why would we shield ourselves from, in any work environment, these things that are really entirely uh, relevant to the work Mm. Uh, it seems it seems like we have a huge opportunity and you know of course going back to the idea that you have friends at work friends share their feelings right (laughs) like (laughs) this this seems like something we should be able to do so you know maybe the simplest uh, the simplest step that you can take is is the the magnitude but also Mm. just taking a few moments to ask people how they're doing yeah like that's it sounds so simple, but truly, this is missing in so many work environments on so many teams. It's just about the performance. It's just about the outcomes. Uh, and this happens in startups and in big businesses and everything in between. And I think it's really time for us to stand up and say, hey, you know what? Like your feelings matter. As a manager, I'm going to validate that you feeling fear is not acceptable. We got to figure out a way to to eradicate it. Yeah. Well, I want to leave on a, a a note that will kind of help people who are, you know, individual contributors on a team that are maybe feeling a little bit individualized or ostracized because of maybe a remote work or maybe they're in person and they just can't like get a leg in. Um what is like what's one piece of advice that you would you would offer to someone who wants who's who's eager to find that community, who wants to develop those friendships and um, kind of invest at a, a higher level, but is, is, is having a little bit of difficulty really like breaking in. What's like one, one takeaway that you would, or, or one piece of advice that you would give someone in that position? Hmm. Someone who's willing, who's wanting to break in and, and build relationships. Uh, I, I think the top piece of advice I would give is to listen a lot more. Hmm. Uh, 
And when you feel like you've listened enough, then listen a little bit more. (laughs) And once you feel like you're really building a relationship, that's when the listening really starts, right? (laughs) And so, I I mean, I, I say that in jest, but really building relationships is about um, understanding another person to a deep emotional degree. Yeah. And we, we shy away from the, just to what we were just talking about. We shy away from the emotional side of things. And we try to make this like, you know, this little facade of a wall that we have these professional relationships and then we have our personal relationships. And while I understand the intent, I also think it's hurtful to our ultimate goal right? One of the things I try to do in relationships is is share my personal struggles as regularly as I can, because it's easy for other people to view everyone around them, not just, you know, one person, but everyone around them as stronger, more competent. Yeah. Um, You know, we have this perspective. It's, it's these weird competing perspectives. We both view people as more competent than us, right? but also as static and dumber than us at the same time. <laughs> this, this is problematic, right? Yeah. And it's because we're not listening enough. Yeah, We're not listening to people. We don't hear other people's struggles. We don't invite them to share those struggles. Yeah, We don't build empathy through that listening process. So it's not a practical piece of advice, right? But I guess the, the invitation would be, to not try to form those relationships yourself. You're not Mm -hmm. playing with Play-Doh, right? You're a person that wants to connect with another person. The community, the React community, any community can benefit from listening to each other more regularly. Mm -hmm. Um, That's true in times of crisis, but it's also true when everything is going great. Yeah. Right? Sharing those things, those experiences with each other, is about understanding other people, what they're going through, and building empathy for them. I love, I, I love that idea, and I, I couldn't agree more that being an emotionally or, or psychologically like safe person, someone who can be trusted with with information, and developing that muscle, mm-hmm. uh, you won't be in, you won't have a lack for relationships and friendships <laughs> in any environment. I mean, it's not easy though, right? Like it's no. not easy to just snap your fingers and say, oh, I'm a listener now. And so everyone <laughs> should flock to me. Like, uh, you know, likability is not an easy to, uh, topic to discuss either, right? It's, yeah. Uh, I'd like to be funnier than I am. You know, maybe more people would, would want to hang out with me. Uh, everybody has those insecurities though, right? Like we all have yeah. that. We're all going through it. Nobody has it easy. Um, even if we think that people have it easy, even the people who are most privileged walking carefully here, even the highest privileged people. And when I say highest, I mean like the superstar billionaires, Mm -hmm. they still have struggles and it's not to contextualize them with the people who are, you know, struggling to make ends meet, but instead to recognize the humanity in all of us. And Mm -hmm. that's how we build bonds. Yeah. We, no matter who we are, we all have some type of, deep-rooted insecurity that we're you know compensating for <laughs> always always i've got a handful of them i'm sure <laughs> awesome well jonathan thank you so much this has been a, a pleasure and illuminating on so many fronts i uh, love developer t and i'm so excited to 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 hear more about your you know on your exploration into into teams and and uh, kind of remote dynamics there um just this last episode in particular just really uh 
really got got in my head. Um, so I'm really excited to see you explore those topics. Um, where can people find you beyond uh, just uh, following developer T? They can find me on Twitter at Jay Cottrell. Uh, I have a personal website, although I don't often send people there because it's uh, <laughs> less active than I would prefer. Um, but yeah, at Jay Cottrell on Twitter and of course, spec.fm. They can find both of us there, right? <laughs> so yeah. That's a, T- teamwork makes the dream work. Good little hub there. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so yeah. much for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh man, it's a pleasure. I hope, uh, I hope we can do it again sometime. I'm sure we will. Hey, before you go, I want to give you 15% off the React Day Berlin conference. This conference is always a hit and they have a terrific speaker lineup this year. Go to reactday.berlin. Yes, another wild TLD, reactday.berlin and use the promo code specfm. Or just find the episode show notes at reactpodcast.com slash 66 and click our link, which will automatically apply that discount code to your checkout. Thanks again to our sponsors, TopTal and Infinite Red. At TopTal, you'll find opportunities and challenges that are waiting for an expert like you. Go to toptaljobs.com. Join the world's top 3% of freelance developers, plug into jobs with top Silicon Valley and Fortune 500 clients, and find teams eager to get your talented hands into their products. Don't go remote alone. Infinite Red wants to give you a handbook that will help you be a better remote employee or help you build a better remote company. They're passionate advocates of remote work and firmly believe that you can build a thriving remote company without sacrificing culture. Download the Remote Work Handbook today at remote.infinite.red and take the road less commuted. This episode of React Podcast was edited by Mikhail Delport. It was produced by Mikhail Delport and Sarah Jackson. You can find React Podcast on Spec, a network to help designers and developers level up. Visit spec.fm to find other shows that will take you further in your career. Help us out by reviewing this show on iTunes. Your reviews help the show grow and help us ensure great guests and awesome content week to week. To join the discussion, visit reactpodcast.com slash chat or follow us on Twitter at React Podcast. I'm at Chantastic. To stay out of the discussion but get updates, visit reactpodcast.com slash news and sign up for emails. Thanks so much for giving us your attention. We'll be in your ears again next week. Thank you.